Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode number 165 of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. I'm your coach, Angela Pugh. I have an awesome episode coming up for you today. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this conversation with Jared Collier. He is fantastic. He's been sober a long time and has a lot of insight to share. And he does these great videos on Instagram. Of course, I will link that in the show notes. But I wanted to talk about a couple of things. I want to talk about where I met Jared, which was doing Sober Sunday on the Clubhouse app. And then I wanted to give you the update on what's happening with Sober Sunday on the Clubhouse app. So my dear friend Brock Bevel and I have been co-hosting Sober Sunday on Clubhouse for about three and a half months, and it has been awesome. Really fun. Clubhouse is an incredible platform. It's audio only. It's live. So you just pop in the room, you sit, you listen, you speak if you want to, don't if you don't want to, but it's only audio, no video, nobody can see you. But it's been really fantastic. Now, the downside is Brock and I are both very busy people, right? So in the last several weeks, the Sober Sunday on Sunday mornings was becoming increasingly difficult (laughs) to manage for both of us with schedules. And Brock has a big family and there's just a lot of things going on. So we made the executive decision that we could no longer do Sober Sunday on the Clubhouse app. And I know that has been a huge bummer, especially because a lot of people were just starting (laughs) to really jump in and wanting to be a part of it. And I am talking to some other people about taking it over. So I think we're going to get it going again, just with some different people facilitating it. Uh, but I wanted to clarify that for you guys, because I know it's a lot of confusion last Sunday. We didn't do it. Also, because as we start this episode with Jared, because I met him in the Sober Sunday room, we talk about the Clubhouse app. And you guys, I'm sure you guys understand that podcast episodes are typically recorded weeks and weeks prior to when they're released. So when Jared and I had this conversation, we were still doing Sober Sunday um, actively, and that's why you'll hear us talk about that. So I wanted to clarify, unfortunately, Brock and I cannot facilitate Sober Sunday anymore. However, I think we are going to get it going again with a phenomenal person who always showed up for Sober Sunday. I'm so grateful for her and her commitment and her desire to step up and make this happen and keep that space open for more people to be a part of. So if you want to know more about that and how that is going, um, I will keep everybody posted in the Addiction Unlimited Facebook group. Of course, if you are not a member of that group, get your happy little buns over there and join us. It is a super supportive, totally private group, um, really a great, great place to 
be sober and support one another and be of service and give back in supporting one another. So look for all of these Sober Sunday on Clubhouse updates there. I gave out a million invitations to people to get on Clubhouse. It is available for Android now. So all of that will continue. And hopefully this coming Sunday, we're going to get that magic happening again. So all of that being said, I love you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me today and spending some time with me. I hope to see you in the Facebook group. And I'd love for you to meet my friend, Jared Collier. First of all, let me just say thank you so much for coming on and doing this show with me. I know it's been a little bit of a journey to get you on. Um, I think I had to cancel on you actually a few weeks ago. And so getting schedules back together, especially my schedule is grueling, um, but getting it together and getting you on, I've been so excited to have this conversation with you and really introduce you to my audience too. And for the listeners out there, you know, I do a Sober Sunday on the Clubhouse app, which is an audio, a live audio app where we talk about just living clean and sober and celebrating that sober life. And I do that with my good friend, my co-pilot, as I call him, Brock Bevel. And I that that's actually how I found Jared is he is good friends with Brock and he was in um, our clubhouse on Sober Sunday. And he just really struck me, had a really powerful share. And and I just, I told Brock immediately, I was like, hey, you know that guy, Jared, I want him on my podcast. So it's been quite a journey. Super excited to have this conversation. Why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about you and what you do? Of course. Well, first of all, Angela, I want to thank you so much for creating this time for us to get together and have this conversation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm much appreciated, much appreciated. And to everyone, my name is Jared Collier. I am a person in long-term recovery, uh, just meaning that I have sustained from using any mind-altering substances for the last seven going on eight years, God willing. Uh, my recovery date is August 16th of 2013. So, few more months to go and I'll have the big eight years under my belt and I'm just looking forward to continuing this life and giving back the gift that was so freely given to me. Awesome. Now I did do a little internet stalking of you and I was on your Instagram strength in time, right? That's your handle. Yeah. Strength in time. That's it. Which I love. And you post videos on there. You have all these great videos. Like what struck you to start creating videos and really sharing yourself and your story? You know, you are flattering. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I think through throughout my story and my seven year journey, uh, one in December, I was laying on the sofa and something struck me like, hey, you know, there's somebody that's not entering the rooms um, that's sitting down and, and needs to hear something. Uh, so I had my wife set up a camera and just had her shoot out questions to me. And it started with me telling my story. Then I was like, man, this is kind of cool. You know, now I should reach out to somebody else. So somebody saw it and re it actually reached out to me like, hey, I want to do one. And then it just started to snowball from there. And then you get this collection of amazing stories to help help those out there in the world who may be suffering in silence or somebody that just needs to continue to hear somebody who is going through the journey. You know, we are not alone. 
Yeah, that's for sure. How old were you when you first realized you had a problem? Oh, it had to be early, probably 21 is when I, when I knew I had a problem, but I didn't care, you know, (laughs) just, I think that's when it just really got it started. It's the legal age. Now there's nobody to tell me, no, there's nobody to tell me, stop. I can just go anywhere at any time and buy it myself. Yeah. And were you predominantly alcohol, only alcohol? Uh, So my drug of choice was cocaine. Okay. Most of the time it was alcohol. And, uh, you know, in that act of addiction, sometimes it kind of went hand in hand. Yeah. Because again, that the lack of decision making when you're drunk, you know, all it (laughs) took was somebody to say, hey, you want a such and such? And it's like, oh, yeah, man, let's go. So that, that is how. Those were my demons that I fought off. I feel like cocaine is making a comeback these days. It was kind of out for a while. And now, well, it's, now it's coming back and getting strong again for some we, reason. We, we got to get that back out of here then. Yeah, yeah. Don't need that circling around anyway. I'd, I'd like to get all of it out of here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> correct. So share a little bit of your journey from really realizing you had a problem, like what happened that made you get sober? Okay. Uh, you know, I could start all the way at the beginning. Um, you know, I, I have learned through therapy and being in those clubhouse rooms and talking to other people on this journey that what I found out is that um, my addiction started way before I took a drink, you know, and it was it was based on my childhood. You know, I can't say that I had the worst childhood, but it was the feelings of not uh, being good enough, you know, feeling left out. Uh, you know, my parents, when I was young, it didn't split up. So I did grow up in like the two parent household, uh, good middle class family, had damn near anything I wanted. But somewhere along the lines, the it shifted. You know, my dad moved to Virginia when I was like nine and it broke me as a kid. You know, he left me and my mom in Florida so he could come to Virginia and finish uh, seminary school. And my mom was pregnant with my little brother. So once she had him, you know, I was kind of out back. Right. Um, Left me a lot of time (laughs) to run around without guidance. Um, And then when we moved to Virginia, she was pregnant again and she miscarried. Right. And I don't know if she intentionally did this, but she had a knack for making me feel like it was my fault. And a little 12 year old kid is stuck with me for years. You know, as I was a hellion, I did cause some problems, but now I know I was just crying out for attention. Um, you know, I wanted to be loved. I wanted to feel like people cared uh, the way they were with my little brother. So as I grew up, um, the struggle of just wanting to fit in, you know, wanting to feel like I was wanted around, wanting to be cool, uh, middle of high school, alcohol is introduced. So it's like, oh, man, if you can get this stuff, you can go anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the party didn't stop. And that's kind of how I describe it. What started as a, a fun you know, Friday night after football game, Saturday night, somebody's parents out of town uh, took me down a road that uh, nearly took my life. Um, 
trying to even piece it together. I get so, so hung up going down that path, but around 21, after a few blackouts, you know, you legal drinking age. I can um, mm-hmm. go anywhere. The bars are wide open because all my friends were older than me. They would sneak me into certain bars. So that life was nothing new to me. And um, that same year, or actually I was 20, uh, I got introduced to cocaine, uh, sitting up one night playing spades or poker or something. And I feel like they just invited me over because I sucked at the game. So they were just taking my money. <laughs> you know, I was drunk. <laughs> and it's one of those memories I never forget. It was like three or four in the morning. I had a bottle of Captain Morgan's drinking it straight. And then uh, they dumped this stuff out on the table. And I was like, what's that? So they told me I tried it and it was was off to the races. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with the drinking or in the bar and you get introduced to this drug that opens up more doors. Now mm-hmm. I'm really wanted. So stupidly I came with the idea you know it'd be a really cool idea to sell this stuff then I could really go everywhere so we're always doing our best thinking when we're under <laughs> the influence <laughs> yeah it seems like such a bright idea no like you're such an idiot <laughs> always making our best choices <laughs> <laughs> right right so yeah I uh, like set up drug dealer shop overnight um started to dibble and dabble here and there and life didn't get any better. I ended up getting arrested, um, incarcerated. And ironically enough, that nine months, I didn't drink or anything. So I was sober, probably my first attempt at sobriety unknowingly. Uh, I felt the most love. You know, I went that nine months with my mom coming to see me every weekend, getting letters, getting books, you know, money always on the books or whatnot. And it's crazy to think about, but I felt like, man, they actually care. Like they're here for me, you know? And then the second I got home, it was like, Oh, (laughs) he's back. And I went right back to the same things, you know, a a lot of partying. Um, The young lady I was dating at the time, we had our first child together. Uh, I was 25 then. And the depression factor, you know, I'm a young man, I'm a felon. I'm not working, sleeping on in her friend's mom's house in a spare room. Uh, it ate at me. And I yeah. did not know how to get out of this hole I dug. Um, and those details are all of the, you know, what we talk about in step one and 12 steps. That's the unmanageability, right? right? When you step back and look at your life and you're like, oh my gosh, like everything is kind of a mess. Like, my, where I'm staying is a mess, right? My job situation is a mess. Like, what am I going to do? I'm not behaving the way I want to. I'm not being responsible. Like that's the unmanageable part of addiction. Right. There was always, it's funny you say that. There was always, I felt like a little person inside of me, like, and this isn't you, this isn't you. (laughs) Like, wake up, get out of this. And it it hurt bad. Uh, So what did I do? You know, we had another kid right? Doing my best thinking. And what that led to was a a lot of chaos, a lot Mm -hmm. of fights. I had no idea what starting a family even was. You know, I I didn't have a dollar in my pocket. And now we've moved into the the same environment where I felt pain, which is my, my parents' house. So I'm in a house with the same place that was hurt, 
trying to raise my own family with everything else on top of me. And it beat me down. So uh, August 15th of 2013, I, I went out and it was like I was making my rounds of saying goodbye. I woke up that day and I just knew it like this is sorry. This is my last day. And uh, I got back to my parents' house at some point, like in the morning, maybe like one or two. It was sitting outside and doing the whole movie scene, yelling at the sky, like, why'd you put me here, God? Like, I don't want this life. Like, I'm tired of living this way. And like beating myself up, beating myself up. And I went inside and took a bunch of pills. And, you know, I had no intentions of waking up. Uh, you know, by God's grace, I did. Went to the hospital that day and I heard a voice, which I know now is my higher power, you know, who I call God, spoke to me in that room. And I was still a wreck, like pissed off. I was awake because it wasn't supposed to be that way. Um, or so I thought, right? Because I didn't want <laughs> to, to be there. And it said, or he said, she said, um, this is your second chance in life. And I heard it clear as day. And I set up, looked at the nurse and was like, hey, I'm ready. Take me <laughs> wherever we go and take me. Let me lay down. And they took me to this room and reminded me of my jail cell. But I slept so peacefully there. I'm in the social media era, right? You know, my age, I'm 35. So Facebook and MySpace and all these things were around. So the conversations about me that was going on in all of these places was so negative. And for once in that whatever, however long, um, I didn't have to read it. I didn't have to think about what people thought about me. And it left me alone with my thoughts. And I remember laying there crying, <laughs> laughing, looking around like, man, this is it. And uh, that was 72 hours in the hospital, you know, saved my life, saved my life. Now, did you know when you were in there and kind of going through this, having this revelation, did you know for you that meant getting sober? Like, did you know that was going to be your next step was no more partying? Yeah, I think when I heard the voice that said, you know, no, this is your second chance. I knew right away, you know, whatever it took, I was not going back to my same actions. I was not stepping foot in a bar. I wasn't hanging around the same people I just knew. I didn't necessarily know how, mm -hmm. but my why was clear. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I had no clue how I was going to yeah. get it done, what was going to happen, what life was going to look like, but I did it. I can so relate to that too. And I think when I look back now, I think I was really the epitome of one day at a time, although I didn't realize it then, but same thing. Like I, I knew like you couldn't pay me a million dollars to drink and I didn't know what that was going to look like. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I had no plan. You know, right. the only thing I knew was go to AA because that's where people went when they didn't drink anymore. And that was the only thing I knew, you know, we had treatment back when I got sober, of course, but I thought it was just for celebrities. You know, right. I never even thought about going to treatment. I didn't think it was for regular people. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah. And it really was just the epitome of one day at a time. I just knew I wasn't going to drink and I had no idea what anything else was going to be like. Right. 
see, I, I didn't even know what that phrase was, you know, and now, yeah. oh man, I did live life one day at a time. You know, I came home, uh, you know, I was there three days from Friday to Monday. And I remember walking into my parents' house and, you know, my, my son's mother and her friend were moving her stuff out. So, you know, I was like, damn, like coming home, expecting to be welcomed and I'm getting broken up with cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I went and just laid down again. I was at peace because it was clear, you know, I, yeah. and I laid down in that first nine months of recovery. I was, I don't think I ever thought about AA because I didn't know, you know, mm-hmm. I didn't know mm-hmm. what it was. I just started to do everything that I heard people say, like, read books, work out, you know, uh, meditate. So I'm like, all right, one thing is clear. I got two kids who depend on me. I don't want my life to look like this. What do I need to do? Uh, So I went to the bookstore, picked out two books. One was Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. The other was The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Nice. From the first, if you look, open that book, and I I kid you not, one of the first phrases in one of those, I don't remember because they both kind of say the same thing at the beginning. It was like, I'm a 28-year-old man living in my parents' basement, addicted to pills and da-da-da-da. And I'm like, holy crap. Like, (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, it hooked me right into the book. And both of them kind of started that way. And I'm like, wow. So that that opened my mind to a whole nother ballgame because I used to think I hated reading. You know, I wasn't the best student in the, mm-hmm. the literature they were giving us in school. Like, I could pretty much care less about it. Mm-hmm. So now I'm like a book nerd. <laughs> I fiend for it. But that was uh, the new reality. And I just kept showing up day in and day out. Just with one goal in mind, not to go back to who I was or what I was doing. You know, something you said earlier that really stood out to me was talking about you just wanted to fit in. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, this was so true also. And I have heard, you know, in years of doing this work now and working with thousands of people, it is something you hear pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Like I always had a sense of being kind of the black sheep of the family. Oh, like I right never fit, right? I never fit. And I didn't fit anywhere. I didn't fit in a specific friend group at school. You know, I didn't quite fit in my family. Like I just, never fit. And that was something that I internalized as I was less than, right? you know, because when you're especially young, when you're different, it feels wrong or bad to be different. Different feels like a bad thing. And, and I always felt that way. And I remember one time years ago, my sister, my older sister-in-law, um, she has been in our family since like junior high school. Well, that's how old I am as we called it junior high school. Now it's middle school, (laughs) but I've had, I mean, she's been in my life since I was like 13, you know, she's known Mm -hmm. me forever. And, um, and she had said to me one time, she said, I feel like we could stand in a room of a thousand people and you could tell me why every single person is better than you. Mm. And I was like, wow, she's right. Because I just always had that sense of being less than. I always had that sense of I was not quite right. 
I just, mm-hmm. I didn't fit. And I, I was always kind of against the mold, right? Like I never did anything in sort of a normal way. And I still don't, I don't follow any of the social norms. Like I'm, you right. know, I'm very weird in that way. I never wanted to be married. I never wanted to have kids. Like I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> that, was, right. that was kind of always my thing. So, um, yeah, but it just really struck me when you were talking about that because I had that same sense my whole life. And I think a lot of people with addiction feel exactly the same way. You know what? The beauty of what you just said was like a lot of it, you know, resonated with me so much. The the black sheep piece um, is that was like me, you know, my life. I I was never good enough. You know, no matter what it was that I was into or what I was trying to do, I'm up, nah, man, that's, we don't want to do that. And uh, it aided me for a while. You know, my brother went away to college and I, I had like an apartment at one point in time with, you know, my son's mother and we threw a birthday party and they would drive across country to see my brother play football and whatnot but wouldn't come five minutes down the road to birthday parties to come say hi. And or I was in the music, if I did a show, they would just wouldn't show up, but it just reminded me of all this stuff, basketball games in high school, it wouldn't come. So it was always like, damn, y'all really, you know, don't show me this love. And that's why I said, you know, the first time I really felt like I received it was in jail, ironically enough. And then uh, not fitting in was that. So at that point, it was just like, all right, I need to feel love from something or someone or a group of people. And I started to step into that lane. But even there, uh, you know, I'd still be in a room full of people and feel alone. Right. I just never quite fit in. I was just copycatting what everybody was doing. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that it was that entrepreneur thing. My grandfather's an entrepreneur. And as a kid, I'd always be like, man, I don't want to work for anybody. Like, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to live like my granddad, you know, that's all I knew growing up in Florida when I was little, little. And that his lifestyle looked so cool for me. And like the word uh, played over and over in my mind. And now I can only think like, damn, that really was it. Like your purpose was much greater. So I was shrinking to fit into spaces, not realizing I was designed to stand out. So it's like a full circle moment. Like, aha, this is why. Amen to that. Did you see, do you remember the movie Pretty Woman? I've never seen that movie. Okay, so it's (laughs) it's before your time, Jared. It's before your time. But I'll give you the gist, okay? He is, Richard Gere is the super wealthy businessman. Julia Roberts is the beautiful woman. And it, it, it it was a really good movie. And back in the day, it was a hugely popular movie, right? But- for me, like watching that movie, I wanted to be Richard Gere. (laughs) Like he was this powerful businessman. And like all my friends wanted to be the Julia Roberts, right? Because he's taking her shopping in Beverly Hills and buying her everything she wants. And I'm like, yeah, that's real cute and all, but I want to be Richard Gere. Like that was always kind of my thing in my head. I always wanted to be that person. Right, right. It's it's the allure. And that something drives at least me young. And I, like, again, it was my grandfather at that point. He had a lot of land. He had horses. He had, we had four wheelers. We would go fishing all day on the weekend. He pretty much did whatever he wanted when he wanted. And I didn't understand uh, the work that it took place. And so now we're, uh, you know, part of my family was more so there for the financial gain. 
I was picking his brain. Like, well, how'd you do it? And he would gladly just sit. And I didn't really grasp it all. But now those lessons are starting to kick back. Like, oh, this is what he meant. Mm -hmm. This is what he meant. It's hard. I mean, it's definitely working for yourself, even not as an entrepreneur, right? Entrepreneur is kind of its own breed also. But if you want to work for yourself, be a business owner and have that sort of, you know, I think people equate it with freedom. Um, and it can be if done right, but right, right, <laughs> but, right. but it's going to be a while <laughs> before, you, before you have some freedom. <laughs> uh, but you know, I mean, a lot of people just, a lot of people just aren't made for that. You know, certainly a lot of people are need security, right? Certainly right. if you have kids and spouses and houses and right, you need security, you need the paycheck, you need benefits, insurance, mm-hmm. you need the paid vacation, right? I, and that's why probably part of why I never wanted any of those things. <laughs> I never yeah, yeah, have you locked in, right? <laughs> they have me now. locked in. That's right. Yeah, that's that, right. That's I can't a, be locked in. The reason, uh, you know, with day jobs, like holding the health insurance is like, man, you know, I got kids, very, very active ones, you know, football, yeah. soccer, track. <laughs> so right. without the benefits, it's like, I see why these are here, but it does right. hold you into a space, you know, where where I starting to grow out of. So yeah, I would where I was, you know, lucky. Well, I guess not lucky. I mean, I did create my life to be the way it is, but I was always like, as long as the dog can eat, I'm good. <laughs> you know, like, I don't even care if I don't eat. If the dog can eat, we're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That is and awesome you do, mindset. but listen, as an entrepreneur, for sure, like you will have times like that, you know, you will have times that, that are just really freaking hard. And, and this is where I love earlier, you mentioned, um, your higher power, right. Mm-hmm. And these are the things I think where faith is so important, right. In, in my professional journey, in my personal life, in my recovery, you don't always have to have the answer. You don't always have to know what something is going to be like or what is going to happen or what is the plan or what is the next action to take. And I think we get very hung up on this. Like we need every detail and there's security in that. Of course, there's safety in knowing what's going to happen. But the whole point of faith is, you know, when I have sat in in my journey, even in the last four years. I mean, I've had two startups for the last Mm. three years. I mean, I started my podcast three years ago. So for three years, I have had been in the midst of two startups and which has been incredible. And it has been maddening, (laughs) but, (laughs) but that faith is such a huge piece of it because I don't have to have every answer to every question. I just know it's going to be okay and I'm going to figure it out. As long as I continue to show up, and this is what I say to my clients with recovery too, as long as you continue putting one foot in front of the other and you do the best you can from one moment to the next, it will become clear. Right. You have to have that faith that, okay, like I know I'm going to be okay, but I don't have to have every answer. Right. Right. And- Still to this day, we'll never have every answer. You know, we we just, like you said, it's one foot in front of the other. And uh, my biggest piece in the line with that was figuring out why. 
you know, I don't think I'll ever really figure out how I just show up every day, consistently do what I can with what I have and let the faith piece, let everything else kind of organically fall into place. Um, especially with me, you know, being a new business owner on this side and giving back to the space of recovery. And I've been blessed with faith, like just this idea of sitting in front of a camera because it felt so uncomfortable. But it was like, hey, I do need to be transparent. You know, somebody is uh, sitting at home or somewhere feeling how I felt and they might not know about AA because I did it or they might not know where to turn to get help or they might be embarrassed, but they can watch this by themselves or with somebody and feel not alone. And suffering in silence was, you know, my go to. And and since then, I've been uh, I think when we first had the reschedule. I was on a TV show. <laughs> um, that ironically enough aligned with this with with recovery so that was pretty crazy i uh, got offered some voiceover work in new york and uh recently here a young or uh, young woman from california has organically stepped into my world and trying to balloon any and everything we can to build something else together and none of that would be possible without faith and just showing up just daily. showing up. That's, That's right. That's it. Just show up. You know, if nothing else, just show up. <laughs> just show up. Yeah, because nothing's going to get done if you don't show up. Right. You it's can't exactly. figure out. You can't figure out any answer to anything if you don't show up. You know. Right. And and so faith is so powerful. And I don't know. I just love this. I love this. I love this. Just <laughs> every time I have felt like the world was caving in on me. And at that moment, and this is the power of 24 hours, that power of one day within a few hours or the next day, it was just like, here's a blessing. Like, Oh, <laughs> you know, like, wow. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> like right. I had no idea that was there. You know, it, it is crazy how it works. So, and trying to explain that to someone They're like, man, you sound crazy. I'm like, you just wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you just wait. Yeah. You have to also be in a mindset to recognize blessings too, right. because sometimes blessings are really small things, mm -hmm. but I have to have the awareness to go, Oh, wow. Cool. Okay. I get that. Yeah. Right. That was a really cool little thing. And, and it's just a nudge, you know, I, so I, I am, a very spiritual person, um, not a, an organized religion, but I am very spiritual and, and I'm a universe person. I'm all energy okay, and frequency okay. and all of those things. And, you know, we, there's a practice of where you kind of find something that's important to you for a lot of people, it's numbers. And I definitely have numbers that are my favorite, but things that, that just mean a lot to you and you start to notice them appearing in your life. Right. So like my birthday is June 17th. It mm -hmm. is amazing how many times I will look at something and it'll be six seventeen, you know, or like I'll be watching a movie and they'll be in a hotel and the door they go to is six seventeen, or it'll say six seventeen <laughs> on the clock or, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, it's I just know. crazy, <laughs> but it's those little bumps from the universe, like saying I've got you. Right, right. And, I'm here. And, I've got your back. You know, don't don't panic. <laughs> right, right. Listen, I, I'm definitely connected. Um, and I think that along those same lines as me starting with that attitude of gratitude. 
-hmm. you know, my blessing most days is just being here, you know, being able to see, being able to touch, being able to feel like, hey, that itself is my blessing. Anything on top of that, hey, I'm with it. Like, yeah. thank you so much. And then the, the synchronicities with the numbers for months. And this was just recently. Every time I checked, like my phone or my watch, it was 11-11. So I was like, man, this is so weird. And I didn't pay attention to it for like a month. And so finally, I was laying next to my wife in bed one night, picked my phone up, it was 11-11. I was like, hey, you know what's so crazy? I have been seeing 11-11 for like the last month or two, and I do not know why. Like this. Did is nuts. you look it up? I did. Okay. Perfect. Right away. I was I, like, oh, 11-11 is <laughs> a good one. <laughs> Listen, so I, I, I looked it up. And I started telling her about it. So she started seeing. And now it's crazy enough. I start seeing 10, 10, 12, 12. But it's consistently. Like yeah. all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is crazy, but it works. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I'm connected universally and spiritually. Yes. Yes, for sure. And it is, it's so crazy. It, gratitude is life changing. I mean, 100%. literally, it is life changing. And I did, you know, gratitude is a big part of 12 steps, you know, so I've always had that awareness. And I was definitely taught by my sponsor, right, to have gratitude and be appreciative and not be a spoiled brat that I was. Mm -hmm. um, but about probably six or seven years ago, I got a book called, I'm never going to remember what it's called, The Magic, I think. Uh -huh. So it's by Rhonda Byrne, who does The Secret, which is Law of Attraction, okay. which is what I practice, right? I love Law of Attraction, Universal Laws. So Rhonda Byrne did The Secret, and she did this other book that is a 30-day gratitude practice. Okay. And I did it the whole 30 days, and it was amazing. Just the perspective shift that I had and the things that it brought to my awareness that I would never even think to have gratitude for, right? When you're really in a practice like that for 30 straight days, you start to recognize how selfish you are, even as a person who practices gratitude, you know, <laughs> it's like you still have these things and and it really, I mean, it changed my life. It changed my life and my whole perspective on everything doing. And then she has another book that is all, so that one's gratitude. And then the mm -hmm. other one is all about love um, and just loving your surroundings. And of course it goes right in line with gratitude, but it's just recognizing all the positives when we, especially as people with addiction, we default to all the negatives, right? Constantly, mm -hmm. always in every situation, we default to negative. So to really intentionally practice shifting that to be more positive, it's so freaking powerful. A hundred percent. And I'm definitely going to check that book out. Uh, you know, I'm always looking to learn and grow however possible. I had a, a therapist, you know, unknowingly tip me off to gratitude and, um, law of attraction and whatnot, you know, before I even really knew what it was my first year of recovery. Uh, he was also sober, which, you know, I truly believe this guy was like an angel because I can't find him. Nobody knows who he is or where he was. I call the place he worked. He doesn't exist. It's that's a whole nother like mm -hmm. thing, but his name was Tom. And I went in there 
And I began to sit with him and talk. And he was, oh, man, I've been sober like 40 years and you can do this. But it was the first time I had a therapist who understood me. And that in itself helped me tremendously throughout that first year. And I still pull from a lot of things he taught me. But there was one thing that he said one day that uh, just stuck with me throughout life. And it was along the lines of uh, gratitude. I was upset about something and he stopped and was like, man, that's it. And I was complaining, you know, Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I guess he was like, well, why don't you complain about the mansion you don't have and the Lamborghini you're not driving and this and that. And he kept going on. I'm like, all right, bro, I get it. (laughs) Like, I understand. He was like, when you feel like that, here's what you do. You go outside and take a walk. I'm like, okay. It's like, but not with music. Like, well, that's weird. Like, I go everywhere <laughs> with my headphones on. I'm 28. I love hip hop. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I do. I work out the music. It's like, no, listen to the wind, the birds, feel the trees, like, feel the sun on your face. And he kept saying this stuff. I'm like, bro, that is crazy. Yeah. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> and he's like, just try it. So the next morning, you know, I got up, started walking outside, and I was like, this is amazing. Like, this is what it feels like to be grounded, to be in tune with everything around me and not masking it with, you know, the music, the loud sound, right. really absorbing the wind hitting my face, listening to the trees sway back and forth, hearing the birds chirp. And I was like overwhelmed with gratitude, like overwhelmed. And I had these goosebumps and I'm like, all right, I get it. Thanks. So now when I do have those moments that hit me, I just move. I go for a walk and I start to listen and pay attention to everything around. Yeah, you really understand how oblivious <clears throat> you are to those things, right? And and how much like we just lack so much awareness of our general surroundings because especially me, like I'm an introvert, so I'm always in my head. Like right. I'm always just buried in all the chatter in my head and the committee talking about God knows what. But you know, I'm just I just live in my head and I, I I can be, I can just lack that awareness entirely of what's going on around me. You know, what's so wild about being an introvert in the chatter. It's sometimes, and people might call it crazy. Like I'll catch myself talking out loud. Like, I'm like, that don't make sense. <laughs> and uh, just as recent, I was sitting at my son's football practice yesterday and I was reading over some stuff I wrote down, like my goals and whatnot. And I was just kind of staring off in the space, but also having those conversations and out loud. And I'm like, yeah, that's it. And somebody looked at me and I was like, oh, so I plugged my headphones on real quick (laughs) to hide it. (laughs) Part of the game. I was just doing it at the gym yesterday. I was was in a Pilates class and Uh, some of the movements get really complicated, you know, and, and I am not super coordinate. Like I'm not clumsy, but it can take me a minute, especially to get my arms and legs working. Somehow. Got it. So these moves get really complicated and I was walking myself through it. I'm like in this hand here and then up and then over here. And the, the girl that was on her mat next to me looked over at me. And I was like, sorry, <laughs> I'm just, I'm really trying not to fall over. That's all. <laughs> Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Oh my gosh. So where would you say is your most challenging time in recovery and how did you get through it and stay sober? Oof. And I got to pick just one. 
<laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I got I got going on eight years of challenges. Uh, I just go to the most recent one uh, because it's still kind of an ongoing thing. Um, and ironically enough, it's how I found my my purpose to get back to this recovery community. But uh, you know, I work for the Department of Veterans Affairs uh, here in Richmond, Virginia, and for the most part, it's been an amazing experience. You know, I love helping the veterans. I love majority of my coworkers. Uh, but last year in August, I had these supervisors who really weren't fond of me, you know, and I never really understood why, you know, I didn't want to push the envelope and I just kind of let it be a show up, do what I'm supposed to do, go home. I'm here to take care of my family, serve the veterans and, and keep it moving. Well, um, last August, a coworker attacked me, right? Like physically, verbally, like she went nuts. So me thinking, uh, I'm like, all right, I'm not gonna get physical back. I'm gonna take my phone and record him. That way, hey, look, you know, this guy's bothering me. I told him to leave me alone several times. He didn't, he swung at me, whatever. I did that. They still tried to paint me as an aggressor. Uh, <laughs> they removed me from my position and they, they tried to embarrass me. They moved me to, you know, like in the movies when somebody would mess up at work, they always put them in the basement in the dark room. And that was me. They put me in this copy room, <laughs> uh, moving papers and, and it, it hurt, you know, as I've worked so hard to be the person I am today. So having that narrative of me painted that way, uh, it sucked. You know, and I couldn't do anything about it. I just had to ride it out. But I remained sober uh, by God's grace. You know, drinking at this point or using for that matter doesn't cross my mind ever. Mm -hmm. It's not like my first thought. Like, oh, man, let me just. And I think I'm lucky for that because mm -hmm. I hear so many times where people like, oh, man, you know, a nice one would be, be great right now. And I, I have not had those thoughts. And I don't want to say ever. But as of now, going on eight years, I have not. Um, and what I turned to was, again, back to therapy, explaining this. And my therapist was like, you know, you would make a great peer recovery specialist. And I had never heard of it. So I'm like, well, what is that? You know, she's like, so she explained it, uh, the job title and whatnot. I don't work in the field yet, but I took advantage of that time that was intended to, I guess, discipline me and embarrass me to better myself. And that's where the idea, like, all right, well, I'm here and I'm trying to transition out of this space that's making me feel this way to be a full-time entrepreneur. Why don't I use what they try to do to me and better myself? And uh, what ultimately ended up happening is they dug a hole for me <laughs> that they ended up having to jump in after the facts were distributed. And I'm here and using my voice to help people in recovery. So through that pain and that experience, I ended up finding my purpose, which, again, that's one of those aha moments like, oh, that's why that happened. Yeah. Like, I understand now. You know, in the midst of it, I was angry, upset, sad. But once it was clear, it was like, OK, like this is why even this conversation with you, I probably never would have been on Clubhouse had it not been for that experience taking place. Yeah. Everything happens for a reason. And that's that faith piece again, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to sit back and get angry about something or be mad. I always think like, okay, what's the lesson I can learn? Because there's always a lesson, you know, and for me, a lot of times it is 
my mouth and my temper. And, you know, there's always some kind of lesson where I can be better in those areas. Um, but yeah, I always try to figure out the lesson. I can also get so tunnel visioned on something that I can start to bully, you know, and of course things aren't going to work out when I'm bullying, because if it was the right thing, I wouldn't have to bully it. Right. Right. And that was a huge realization for me at some point in my recovery is like, oh, it's not easy because that's not the right thing for me right now. Right. So I can back off and go, okay, I don't need to be mad that this isn't working out or that I'm not getting my way. I just need to sit back and wait for the next thing that's coming because it's going to be even better. Right. What's for you is for you. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and pure recovery support specialist or some combination of those words for the listeners, that's a recovery coach. Right. Uh, and that is, it, it often in many states has some title like that, pure recovery, pure support, um, support specialist, whatever. But I love that. I love that that is becoming more and more popular because it is a powerful connection and it just means peer to peer. It means right. I am a recovering person helping a recovering person. That's right. all. It's peer to peer. And those relationships are invaluable right. for people, you know, who are trying to get sober and trying to figure this stuff out. Yeah, most definitely. And I think that's that's why it is becoming like the next, uh, I don't want to say big thing, because I do feel like the next necessity almost is that middle piece between uh, recovering addict to recovering addict to therapist or doctors, because not all therapists know recovery. Not mm -hmm. every therapist can speak my language. That's right. You know, and I think it's a beautiful thing. If I could sit down with somebody and tell my story, and they're like, damn, you sound like me, like listening to you. We would never have crossed paths, but mm -hmm. telling me the black sheep wanting to be an entrepreneur, like, damn, that sounds like me. Like I can relate and pull from that, the strength. And then when I leave, it's like, all right, I feel good. I can do this, you mm -hmm. know? And that's, I, I love hearing that because it keeps me inspired. It keeps me focused. It keeps me going to know that, you know, the future is inevitable as long as I show up and keep going and give this gift back and hoping that they then spread it to the next person and so on and so forth. Right. I think it's so important to, to remember <clears throat> that those hard times, like what you went through really hard triggers a lot of feelings, right? Pushes a lot of buttons inside of us. Certainly ego, my place in society. What do people think of me? Uh, it can make you second guess yourself and have some negative messages with yourself. Do I really belong here? Am I worthy of this? Did I do something wrong? Uh, because, I, and I say that from my perspective of myself too, in that I, I know that my mouth and my temper can be a challenge for me, right? So when I revert back to some of those behaviors, I really start to question myself. and. And thinking like I should be better than that by now, you know, I shouldn't lose my patience like that anymore. I've I've got enough practice that shouldn't be happening, but it really causes a lot of negative negativity inside you. But the truth is, it's just a bump in the road, usually because we need to pay attention to something. For me, it's usually because I need to check myself because maybe those character defects are getting a little wild again. <laughs> <laughs> 
but we want to put these judgments like, oh, that's so horrible. That was a bad situation. I can't believe that happened to me when really it's like, okay, wait a minute. Like, what do I, what can I really take from this that will prepare me for the next better thing that's coming? Right. It's progress, not perfection. You know, for sure. <laughs> so we're always. Growing. I mean, thank goodness. A hundred percent. Because I would be I would be in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> listen, listen, I believe we all would. You know, I uh, I think that that in itself came with me setting boundaries uh, and knowing myself pretty well. Like I know some of my triggers, like when it comes to anger and um, and it's only certain people. And, you know, I, I spent a lot of time at the beginning talking about my family and, you know, they can hit that spot every time. So much so I, I've set boundaries with them uh, where I know how to love people from a distance. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've forgiven. Um, I don't really harp on the past anymore. I just know, like, I'm not inviting anybody anywhere. Like, if you show up, you show up. If you don't, whatever like because it used to hurt me and my wife would be like why don't you invite him here why don't you like you don't understand (laughs) like I'm not it kills me to throw that and then they don't show up or so I just stop but uh when I was coming back from New York a couple weeks ago I let my boundaries down and I got put into that space where I lost my temper and uh you know I, I immediately took accountability because I never should have engaged in conversation with them because I've done it a million times. I knew what the outcome was. I knew that I was going to be painted and they wouldn't take the accountability. So I got home, shed a few grown man tears. Just so happened, my wife happened to be there. She was like, you know, you told me many times how it was, but now that I've seen it, I believe you. She was like, don't be upset. You didn't do anything wrong. Excuse me. And I'm like, well, I did because I I knew where that was going to end. Right. You know, I know myself and I've been in that situation a million times and I allowed it to happen instead of just walking away and it hurt. So, again, I sat back, was like, all right, I got to put those boundaries back up and just love from a distance to protect, protect me and that that inner child inside that, yeah. you know, that's fighting his way out of all of those situations. Because that's really all it is, is me trying to protect the the inner me. Um, that didn't have a voice growing up and had all those feelings. Yeah. But that inner child (laughs) deserves to be protected too. Right. And that's what she said. Yeah. And I think we lose sight of that when it comes to boundaries, especially with people close to us and family, like we can get a lot of guilt around that, you know, but the truth is I am allowed to protect myself. Right. A hundred percent. And that once you broke it down to me and I sat back again, cried it out. I'm like, she's right. Like I wasn't wrong in that, but I knew where I right. was headed. And that's where I took my accountability because I'm self-aware. Yeah. You know, I can feel now that I feel everything, I can feel that little bubbling inside before mm-hmm. you want to say something smart, but you're looking at the door and you just can't seem to grab it, you know, mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, screw it. And by the time the first thing is said, you got to follow it up. <laughs> you know, it's like, and then by the time you're walking away, you're like, crap. <laughs> yeah. It's so powerful too, though, because when you have that self-awareness, you get the opportunity to make so much better choices for yourself, which then leads to really creating the life that you want. 
and you can orchestrate all of it. You have power in all of that. You can build your life to be exactly what you want it to be. And that's a beautiful thing. And I never would have learned any of that had I not been a crazy raging drunk. You know, beautiful. like that part of it, like, had you told me today, like, man, you really were crazy drunk and messed up and things are great. Like, yeah, you're yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like- That's why I say being an alcoholic was the best thing that ever happened to me because it did. It led me to my purpose and right. I never would have found my purpose had I not had that situation, obviously. And, and I never would have gotten to discover my own inner strength. I mean, I wouldn't have even lived long enough you know, to discover what I'm really capable of. Well, you said it at the beginning, and I don't know if you recorded this or not, but it's something that I say as well. So I I celebrated you. You said we're here to talk about our superpowers, right? That's right. Sobriety. And one of my favorite motivational speakers, Les Brown, he put up this thing and he said, the most powerful people on earth are the storytellers, right? That is your superpower. And it's like, oh my gosh, I've been harboring this superpower inside of me through all of this negativity and all of this bad that happened. I can use it for good. Mm-hmm. That in itself, <laughs> not let alone crazy, but it is awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So be able to pull from that. And there's so many, you know, instances, stories that I could pull from at any given moment. It's like, ah, I've been through worse. <laughs> like, this right. is bad. Okay, Jared, final question, favorite question. What's up? What's your favorite thing about being a sober person? Uh, enjoying life and giving back. And, and, and what I mean by that is uh, on both sides. Um, I used to travel in active addiction, and I couldn't really tell you much about the vacations except we bar hopped. Like you go hit Bahamas and you head into Senior Frogs. And that was all that was talked about. Wasn't the culture, wasn't the beauty of the water or riding the ATV through, you know, through the the sand and whatnot. Um, And that's what I enjoy now, remembering and creating memories and moments and, and giving that to people, right? Like being able to share like, hey, these are the experience that I've been able to have outside of you know me just going to a new city and running to the bar to bar hop and I just go back home and do the same thing tell the stories in a bar <laughs> right? Right, right I now spread these experiences to any and everybody and, and that that to me is is beautiful creating beautiful. creating more stories to tell right creating them and the memories now I remember them all I can feel them and uh you know, along with the meditation piece, I can close my eyes and place myself in those moments and spaces and just know, like, man, you know, I'll be there. Whether I'm attracting another trip there or not, that would be cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, that's the beauty um, of it. And that that's just personal. I love to give that stuff back out as I experience it. So crazy, too, because <clears throat> most people worry so much about, like, having fun 
sober? What will I do? How will I ever have fun? Will I ever have fun again? And everything you just said is incredible. And I'm the same way. Like I spent so much of my life sitting on the bar stool talking about all these great adventures I wanted to have, right? But I couldn't get my act together to plan any kind of adventure because I was drunk or hungover or right. broke <laughs> or broke from drinking and being hungover. You know, like I could never get off the bar stool to go do anything. And now I go do whatever I want. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. I can learn anything. Like I, literally life is limitless, limitless as a sober person. Yes, yes, yes. 100% agree. 100% agree. And it's all because of this gift, you know, that we freely give away to those that are, um, you know, either suffering or know that they're ready to take this journey. Beautifully said. Thank you again, Jared, for coming on and doing this with me. What a great conversation. I appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you. And thank you so much for having me. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.